Um, we have been studying the last few weeks about the, the transformed believer, and we pretty much finished that, that study over these weeks. And, and in the study, I, I made a statement that there were questions in, of, that you could ask yourself. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, it tells, Paul tells the Corinthians to evaluate yourself from time to time, that, that your faith is sound, that your faith is you are believing the right thing. So that's a good thing, I think, for us sometimes to just look, what am I doing? Uh, what do I believe? Uh, and a, a lot of times people uh, have this problem. I know my sister did. She, when she grew up, she, I don't know how many times she got baptized before she finally got it that she was saved. And uh, maybe some of you have done the same thing. I mean, we, we come to a point or we hear a message or we read something in God's Word and we think, wow, is that me? Do I really measure up? Am I there? And, and uh, you know, sometimes it's good. That's healthy for us to do. Sometimes it's just uh, Satan trying to deceive us and distract us. So how do we determine that? Uh, if I ask you today, if you died today, where would you end up? Where would, your, where would you wake up? Would it be heaven? Are you sure? Well, that's a good answer. Uh, I, I hear a, a lot of people, uh, like I said, they want to pray every, every day to be sure they're saved. And is, is that biblical? Is that what we should do? Is that the common? I've heard people make the statement before. and I've asked them, I said, uh, you know, I, I, if you die today, and, and uh, would you be in heaven? Well, I sure hope so, preacher. I'm doing my best to, preacher. They're not two good answers. Uh, as Christians, I think we, we have a hope, and I think it's all right to hope, but, but I want you to look at some things here. Turn in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I think that's page eight, uh, 1842 or something like that in your, in your pew Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 23 through, or 22 through 25, and I just want you to, to, to listen as I read what, what the writer Hebrews is saying about your salvation, saying about your faith. Hebrews 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That sound like hope so? That sound like, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm praying it does. It says, full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen to this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another uh, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much uh, the more as you see the day approaching. 
See, I think as Christians and we come together, this is my purpose today. I want to show you some scriptures where you can have full assurance of the faith without wavering. That's why we come together as believers. That's why I think it's important that we, that he says here, we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. It's important for us to come and to encourage one another and to lift up one another and to read God's word together, to worship him together. That gives us the full assurance of our salvation uh, with, and, and, and the blessed hope that we have. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we study your word, Lord, I pray that you would just give us peace. Lord, that you would show us the truth of your word, that you would just reveal yourself to us as, uh, through your word as it's spoken. Lord, just give me the words to say. Speak to our hearts and our minds that we'd have a clear understanding of, of where we stand with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the few Bibles, to 1864, page 1864, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, in, in trying to get the, the, the full assurance of your faith and, and the hope without wavering that he's talking about and, and talking about the promises. You know, we, we've talked in these last few weeks. Now, I want you to understand something as I go through this this morning. First John, he, uh, the, the gospel of John, he tells us how to be saved. He tells us that uh, we, we read in John chapter 3 when Jesus told Nicodemus, marvel not that you must be born again. And throughout the gospel of John, he gives a clear presentation as exactly who Jesus was. He was God. He was the son of God. He came to die for the sins of the world. He said, I've written all this that you, that you uh, understand that you would be saved. So the gospel of John was all about it. This same John wrote first second and third John. Uh, and so in the first John now, he comes and he talks about the gospel of John and how to be saved. Now first John, he talks about the assurance of that salvation. Am I saved? Uh, for those who may wonder or, or have that from time to time, and, and you read, if you read first John, it's, it's uh, pretty convicting sometimes. You look at it, and then I'll be honest with you, as I studied this whole and read this, this whole chapter or this whole book two or three times this week, I'd look at it and say, okay, Lord, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I fit that bill, right? <laughs> you know, I, I had to examine myself some because it is a little bit convicting. But first, what I want you to see, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. John is telling us uh, at the beginning of the first three verses, he tells us that, that, that who Jesus is and, and that we saw him, we beheld his glory, uh, he came in the flesh, and, 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 and all these things, uh, he came and was a witness to us of the salvation through Jesus Christ. And in verse 4, he said, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Do you understand salvation ought to be a joyful thing? It ought to be a very joyful thing. Y'all agree with that? I got a few shaking their heads. When we fully realize what Christ did for us on the cross, when we realize all that that entails, uh, of all that we've been forgiven, all that he's done, there ought to be joy deep within our hearts. 
uh, not confusion. Uh, our salvation uh, should be a joyous experience, not of doubt, not of fear. Am I, you ever met anybody that's just sort of, oh, I hope so. Am I the only one that's ever heard that? Maybe so. No, well, I hope after today you know so. Uh, because, first of all, John says that our salvation experience ought to be joyous. It ought to be uh, joy within our hearts. That we ought not doubt. We ought not fear. Uh, we, Like I said, we have joy in what Christ has done for us and what he's made you to be and what he did on the cross. Joy is also a, a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I told you a few weeks ago, when, when you are saved, at that very moment, you are justified before God, just as if you'd never sinned through the blood of Jesus Christ. And another thing, at the very moment that you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, he begins to teach you things and, and you come out, you, you have this new nature. You are a new creation through the working of the Holy Spirit within you. And part of what he does is uh, in Galatians, you just write this down, Galatians 5.22, but the fruits of the Spirit, the, now that the Spirit's within you, the, the result of that is love is joy, is peace, is long-suffering, is gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now look, what I'm going to talk about today and what are the things we're going to examine, and we're going to take a test here in a little while. Y'all ready for that? We'll take a test here this morning. What I want you to understand in this test, we are talking to believers. Uh, and, and, and when you take this test, it is not a requirement for salvation. Okay? It's the result of your salvation. You understand that? When we talked about in James, and he talks about faith by works, works is not a requirement for salvation. Works is a result of your salvation. I want that very clear this morning. We cannot, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Or woman, lest anyone should boast. See, if you could work your way to heaven, then when you get there, you could say, look what I did. That's not the way it's going to happen, folks. So it's a result of our salvation, uh, of all these things. These fruits of the Spirit are a result of our salvation, the Spirit that lives within us. Now these things, this love for one another, this joy, this peace, all this list, all these things begin to come out because of who we now are. Okay? So, well, hello, Miss Ladybug. You can go somewhere else. All right. Now, in that joy that we have, I want you to understand this. You say, well, I know I'm a Christian, Brother Kenny, but I don't always have joy. I don't always have that love and that peace and and all that. I understand. Times are tough sometimes. And and we go through difficult times and we go through trials. and, And you know what? We also sin. 
And sin can cause us, believe it or not, that's why it's so important that John tells us if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking to believers. The importance of confessing sin. Uh, David knew this in Psalm 51. He says, Psalm, uh, just write down Psalm 51, 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. David had sinned. Remember, he, he had been with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, all the rest. And then he was confronted with his sin, and this is David's prayer of confession to God. And in that prayer, he said, my joy of, my, of your salvation, God, is far from me. I don't have the joy that I once had. So sin can affect our joy, our peace, our love. It's important as Christians that we confess that sin. Uh, while we're on that, I, I want to just focus on what to do with sin. So if I'm a Christian, uh, in John here it says if, we, if we're a Christian, if we uh, believe God, we don't sin. We're going to look at that in a minute. And there are some out there that say, oh, I'm a Christian, so I, I don't sin anymore. Well, I don't know why he told us to confess our sin and he's faithful to forgive our sin if we don't sin anymore. We're going to look at those things. But what if you sin as a Christian? You're hopelessly lost, right? There is no hope. Uh, uh, I should just focus on that sin the rest of my life and feel guilty and sorry about it, right? Absolutely not. So he said, confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive that sin. I, I hope you understand that, that God is in the business. God is a, he is a master at taking sin and making something beautiful out of it. You don't believe me? He destroyed the earth with a flood, didn't he? Because of sin. But look at the beautiful mountains and the waterfalls and all the glorious things that God has revealed himself through nature as a result of the flood. Something that was terrible, something that deserved punishment, something that was great in sin, God made glorious, God made beautiful. And what a picture he shows of our salvation in Noah and the ark and all that. God made something beautiful out of something bad. And, and I, I spoke of this a few weeks ago in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. We see that where Israel had sinned, and so God sent these serpents, they bit the children of Israel, and many died because of their sin. And they went to Moses and said, Moses, pray to God that, we, that he forgive us our sins and, and we confess our sins. And, and you know what God said? He said, all right, Moses, I want you to build a brazen serpent. I want you to put him on a pole. And when somebody's bit by another serpent, I, I want the pole to be raised. And when they're bitten by a serpent, I want them to look at the pole, look at the serpent, and they'll be healed instantly. Hmm. Now, to those of you who don't know, uh, brass in all of Scripture is of, of judgment. That's where judgment takes place. But he said, just look at this brazen serpent, and they'll be healed. Uh, 
He didn't say, when you get by the, bit by the serpent, look at your wound, bandage your wound, get all the medication, suck the poison out, you know, do all that. He didn't say all that. He said, when you're bitten, look at the serpent on the, on the pole. See, that's a, a picture of our forgiveness. So how do you know that, Brother Kenny? Well, Jesus told us that. That applies to us today. When I sin, it is important for me to confess that sin and understand how that sin, how he is just and able to forgive me. How is he able to do that? Through the blood that he shed on the cross. So Jesus said in John 3, 14, in our original text that started all this, and, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you see the picture there? And Jesus made the correlation between them. They would look to the serpent and be healed. If you sinned, look to the Savior who died for you on the cross and be healed. Do you understand that? That's where joy comes in. Joy in knowing that, that you are forgiven, your sins are paid for, and if you confess Him as Lord and Savior, you are saved. And if you're saved, look, the cross is our, is our focal point. The cross is our foundation for our salvation. If you sin, go back to the cross. It's all paid for. It's all covered. He is faithful to forgive us for our sins. Look to the cross and be healed. That's pretty good stuff there. That ought to give you joy in knowing that there is therefore, as Romans 8 says, there is now therefore no condemnation who are in Christ Jesus, who are called according to this person. All right, now I need to, to move on before I get chasing a rabbit there. So God wants us to have joy. Even if we sin, we confess our sin, and that joy is restored because he's faithful to forgive us our sins because of what he's done on the cross. 1 John chapter 5. If you want to turn there, write it down. 1 John chapter 5, 10 through 11. God wants us, as we read in Hebrews, to have full assurance of our salvation. Uh, how do we have that? He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. Do you believe on the Son of God? What's the witness within yourself? The Holy Spirit within you. He reveals that as a result of what you believe, you truly believe and accepted that Christ as your personal Savior. Now you Holy, have a Holy Spirit within you that will reveal that within you. That's what he's saying. This is part of the assurance of our salvation is that we are sealed with his spirit. So the spirit within himself, the witness within ourselves, he that believeth not that God believeth not, God hath made him a liar. You don't believe Jesus is the son of God? God calls you a liar. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Because he believeth not the record that God gave in his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this is life in his son. In his son. So we have life through Jesus Christ. He that, hath made, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. 
So if you haven't accepted Jesus as personal Savior, the Holy Spirit's not within you revealing that to you, you might want to check up. You want to, might want to do some soul searching because very clearly in Scripture it says right there, just within you, you know that you are a child of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. Why is he writing these things? Why is he telling these things? Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you hope, not that you're doing the best you can, not that this is, you know, anything is that you know. That's why this was written. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. See, as we read this in, in John and S, that's we so we want to have joy, we want to have full assurance is, is what John is trying to do. Not not to bring condemnation, not to bring doubt, but to bring joy and full assurance of our salvation. Throughout the the letter of John, you're you're gonna see him repeat himself over and over and over. Uh, but he drove home uh, three main points is that we obey, that we love and that we know the truth, okay? Three main points through the whole book that that keep coming out. Uh, Obedience, love, and truth uh, are the main points that he brings out in these scriptures. Um, As we do our test in a few minutes, I want you to look at what is, is what you're doing driven by obedience? Is it driven by love? Or is it just driven by the truth of God's word? Okay? Um, so why, why, did God, why did John refer to this? Why did God tell John to write these things down? I think it refers to the aspects of, of who we are. See, we are created in God's image. What does that mean? That I, that I have a, an intellect or a, a mind. I have an a, emotion and I have will. I have a body, soul, and spirit. Okay? There's three parts of the Trinity. There's three parts of me. And, and each of these uh, uh, obedience and, 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 and love and truth all reflect to my intellect, my emotion, and my will. Now, I know I'm getting a little bit deep here for you. But I want you to understand that, why he's writing this. Uh, so what happens at that point, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to, to deal with me. And, and the, whole, the a person that is controlled and yielded to the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit controls his mind. The Holy Spirit controls uh, through understanding the truth. The Holy Spirit controls the mind through understanding the truth. The Holy Spirit controls the heart to love. And then the Spirit controls uh, and inclines us to be obedient to the commands of God. Okay? That's part of his duties that he does for us and put in a nutshell. So we, we live by faith that the Holy Spirit works within us. The, the Holy Spirit within us, like I said, is not a requirement. It's a result. And I want it real clear to you, too. The, the things I'm going to say this morning are the things that are in Scripture and, and what John, James talks about. And, and a lot of people would read that and say, Ooh, I better go out and, and start witnessing. Or I better go out and start loving more. I better go out and start forgiving more. I better be patient more. I better do so. Not how it works. 
Hello? It's not what you do. It's what the Holy Spirit in you does through you. Do you understand that? See, we, we get all tangled up in this legalism and what I should and should not do. And we try with all our might to please God and do what he says and, and all these different things. And you know what? We end up frustrated. But if we would yield our members, it says, the members of our body to the leading of this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to do it through me. My job is to be willing. My job is to yield to his leading. Where it is first a willing mind, it is accepted to give. Those are great verses for us to understand. I want you to get that this morning. I got to move on. So we live this life by faith. That's another thing I just want to hit on just for a second. And I'm, I know I got to move on. I've heard people say, well, I wish I had faith like brother so-and-so. I wish I had faith like sister so-and-so. Is that biblically right? No. What are you talking about, brother Kenny? You've got to have faith, right? Jesus said if you have the faith of a mustard seed. Do you know how big a mustard seed is? With, with, with these contacts I got, I probably couldn't hardly see it. It is itty bitty tiny. Jesus said you can have itty bitty tiny faith and move a mountain. It's not the faith that you have. It's who you're placing your faith in that's powerful. You understand that? I place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died for my sins and promised me that he is able to forgive me of my sins and put me in a right standing with God my Father. That's what my, and that's all powerful. My faith is weak, but he is powerful. Do you understand that? So don't be wishing you had the faith of Brother David or anybody else or sister so-and-so God give you the faith he gave you. Just put it in him. Give it to him. Put your trust in the one who can. Because I promise you, David can't. Sister so-and-so can't. Don't mean to be picking on you today, but you're just right there. So let's go to the test of our salvation. There are several verses, and there's, there, this is not all of them. But things that I want you to look at, and just write these down, and I'll run through them quickly. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He said, if we say we have fellowship with him, if we have fellowship with God, if we go around and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love God. I, you know, I'm, I'm all this. Me and, me and, me and God, we're, we're like this. If we say that and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's lip service. We say we love him, but yet we'll turn around and bite somebody's head off. We'll turn around and hold a grudge. We'll turn around and not be forgiving. We'll turn around and gossip. We'll turn around and lie. We'll turn around. You put it, you fill in the blank. We say we have fellowship, but we live in a darkness. We don't do what he, he's saying. I, I'm getting ahead of him. But if we walk in the light, is he in the light? 
we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There is another excellent verse to show me that I am saved. I'm probably going to still sin. Or he wouldn't have put in there that the blood of Jesus Christ. What he's saying there is continually cleansing me from my sin. Because Kenny didn't quit sinning when he became a Christian at six years old. Trust me. Robin can tell you all about it. He's continually cleansing me of my sin. I'm not in this glorified body yet. See, y'all know what I'm talking about here, don't you? After our recent study. I'm not in my glorified body yet. I'm still in my my fallen nature. I'm still going to sin. And he's continually cleansing me from that. And if I seek to, uh, I prefer the fellowship with him. And if I prefer a fellowship with him, you know what that means it says here? I prefer fellowship with you guys. I wouldn't rather be down here standing by the fire drinking beer with my buddies. Y'all got it? It's the preference of what's in you now. If I'm in fellowship with him, I prefer to be with other Christians that believe in him. That's what that's saying. There's your first test. Do you like to be around other Christians more than you like to be around others? Don't answer it. Just answer it to yourself. That's your first question on your test. It may tell a little bit about what you really believe. First John 1, let's go to our next test question. First John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay? You go around telling anybody you don't sin anymore? Uh, That is the first step of salvation. You must understand that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short of what God has for you. You've, You've missed the mark, it says in Romans 3. You've come short of the glory of God. You understand that in me is sin, that I, that I cannot be good enough in God's sight. And, and as Christians, if we say, okay, now I'm saved, I quit sinning, what does it say? We deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. And in that verse, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if we go around saying that we have no sin, we're missing the primary foundation of our, found, of our beliefs. That's the first step to understanding that you need a Savior. That's what the Ten Commandments was given for, to help you to identify that I don't, that I, I don't meet the requirement, that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And as Christians, we understand that I'm going to sin every day, that I'm going to do things that aren't pleasing until one day I'm in my glorified body. So if we say we have no sin, we're deceived about who we really are. How do you view sin? How do you look at sin as a believer? There's your second question. All right. Third question, 1 John 2, 3. Now by this we know 
that we know him if we keep his commandments. Uh Uh-oh. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Wow. You ever broke one of God's commandments? Just about every day. Well, how in the world can you be saved, Brother Kenny? Your words that it's saying here is that is a person that it's my desire. As I said, part of the three things is obedience, truth, and love. It's my desire to obey him. Now that I have the spirit within him, I have a new desire. My, my new nature wants to please him. I want to keep his commandments. But the truth is, I'm still in a fallen nature. I'm still got the old man. I'm still in the flesh. I'm not glorified. I'm going to break a commandment here too. Therefore, confess your sins. He's faithful to free. Do you see how that's working? So a lot of people read that and say, oh, no, no. It's, it's how you, your desire, you know, an unsaved person can break one of God's laws. So what? We had a great time. Wasn't it great, Brother David? We just had a good time. No remorse. No sorrow. No even concern that that is not pleasing to God. But as a Christian, when you sin, what happens to you? I think this is one of the key things to knowing that I'm a believer, that I am truly saved. Because the moment I sin, I automatically feel remorse. I automatically know I need to confess that to my Savior. If I wasn't saved, I wouldn't have that desire. That's a good point to know of your true salvation. Uh, David asked me a question, I think, Friday night. And I just sort of alluded to the question. I know. Yeah, I didn't lie to him, but I just sort of backed away from it. And, yeah, you know, went on another direction. And I, you know what? All Friday night, until I called her, he called me Saturday morning. I said, I'm glad you called. I was fixing to call you. I just tell him, I knew what you was asking me about it, but I couldn't answer it. And I just sort of felt like I twisted the truth. And that ate me alive all night long. It ain't because I'm a great person. It's because the spirit that lives in me. That Kenny, you shouldn't have done that. You should have just told him flat out the truth from the beginning. I just can't say. But I just made up something else and went on another direction and avoided his question. Sorry, I'm human, folks. But the point is, God's Holy Spirit convicted me of that. And until I could confess it to David and confess it to the Lord that I had done wrong, I was eat up. My joy wasn't very great. You understand how that works there? So how do you view sin? How, what is sin? What kind of effect does sin have on you? I got to move on. I'm, wow. 1 John 2.15 do not love the world or the things of the world. Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How much do you love the world? Now, y'all know I love the Rocky Mountains and I love the beauty and uh, this is all awesome. So what is he talking about? I think he's talking about the world system. Uh, they've gave it a new term now. 
is called politically correct. Trust me, I'm not politically correct and never want to be. If you want me to say abortion is okay, there yeah, you're wrong. That's never going to happen. I, I'm not going to fall in love with the world's ideas and things and think it's great. That's what he's talking about, the love of the world. That I value the opinion of the world more than I value the opinion of God. I would rather stand uh, condemned by all of my peers and be righteous before my Father. You understand that? I don't care what they think about me as long as he thinks I'm okay. I'm not in love with this world and its ideas and, and its twisted up way of thinking. I'm not ever going to be politically correct, folks. David or Daryl said, amen. <laughs> so it's the world system. Uh, I don't love the system. And you know what? We see it every day. If you don't think that gays are okay and abortion's okay and, and all this junk is okay, you know what they're doing to Christians? They hate your guts. It's very evident. If you don't think so, turn the news on and watch it for a minute. All the protest about Christians and the hatred toward Christians. They hate us. And Jesus said, don't be, don't be surprised that they hate you. They hated me too. There's another good point. Are you, does the world love you? Now, I'm not saying you can't have worldly friends. And I'm not saying you can't have friends that respect you and possibly love you. But as a whole, do they just really love everything about you and you just never do anything to get under their skin? Where do you stand with non-believers? Where do you stand with the pleasures of this world? Do you love the world more than you love God? See, I think that goes too with our selfishness, that I seek the pleasures of this world more than I seek the pleasures of God. That's selfishness. And that's another foundation of our salvation is to deny self, take up our cross, and follow him. Okay? i got to keep going. 1 John 2, 23, whosoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Is Jesus who he says he is to you? Is he God? I heard somebody say, oh, Jesus is not God. <clears throat> you better read your Bible. Because it's all over in there. Jesus made the statement. It was prophesied about who he is. He is God. He is the Son of God. Uh, 1 John 4, 23, Whereby uh, know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. If you can confess that God became man, all that Christmas is about, he came in the flesh to die for the sins of the world, do you confess that? It says here that, that the, the flesh that confesses that is of God. And every spirit that confesses it not, that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. Do you deny who Jesus says he is? You might want to do some soul searching. First John two or First John three twenty or ah, 
1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are you the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Do you long for Christ's return? There's your next question. Do you long for his Savior to return in glory? That's characteristic of the Holy Spirit within. Now, I got it. You younger kids, I didn't want the rapture to happen before I got my driver's license. I understand these little things. And then I didn't want the rapture to happen before I graduated from high school. And I certainly wanted to get married before the rapture happened. And then I want to, we have those little moments. But as a, we're talking about all these are characteristics of a life lived. My entire life, I remember as a little child, well, probably 10 or 12 years old, just I knew Jesus was coming back on Christmas Eve. I don't know why I knew that. But I was disappointed the next morning when I, I mean, I was happy I had presents, but I was disappointed that Jesus didn't come back. I've looked for his return from a child. I'm looking for his return every day. What do you look, how do you view his return? Is it something that you long for? There's your next question. 1 John 3, 9, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. That's a tough one, isn't it? For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is practicing sin. Y'all Greek scholars want to look it up? He's talking about when he says commit sin, that's just a practice of sin. You get up in the morning and think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do today. Knowing it's sin against God, and you go out and do it with no remorse, and the next day you get up and do it again. That's a practicing sin. And it says here, if you commit this kind of sin habitually, now listen, I do understand that there are addictions that Christian can be addicted to for a season. But I don't believe God lets it go on for a long, long period of time. I don't believe he lets it go on for a lifetime. I believe he'll, if Hebrews says, if you're his child, he's going to deal with you. He's going to correct you. So there are habitual sins that Christians can have, but one that just practice habitual sin with no remorse, and that's just all they live for, you might want to do some soul searching. 1 John 3, 14, and I'm almost done. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. This is an important one. How do you feel? He said, I said earlier that we have fellowship with Christ. We have fellowship. Now, it's one thing to go into fellowship hall and eat dinner with you. I love doing that and talking and having a good time. But this takes it a step further. This puts it in ultra drive. Not only do you have fellowship, it's that you love them. Brian's making me mad, and I really just don't want it, but I love you, Brian. And you could call any time, day or night, and I'd come. I'm kidding. You don't make me mad. I just use you. But you see how we can do with, with Christians. 
We can look beyond each of one another's faults and the things that we don't agree with. And I love you with all my heart, and I'd be there for you 24-7. Just call me. Do you love the brethren is your next question test. Or do you just rather not even be around them? Are they just too big a burden for you? I don't think we were too big a burden for our Savior. He gave his all. 1 John 4, 6. We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. Your next question, you love to hear the word of God. That's a tough one there, isn't it? Brother Kenny, you're 11 minutes over now. I told you to quit looking at that clock. <laughs> but isn't it the truth that a lot of times, and I haven't seen it here, y'all hadn't fired me yet, and I've been over 12 o'clock for the last six months, I think. So that's pretty evident that you're tolerant. But I've been in churches where 12 o'clock is, and you better shut up. Because I'm through with you. You understand? What do you do when you hear the word of God? Is it interesting to you? Do you want more? Do you hunger for it? Do you love to learn from it? Do you love to talk about it? If you don't, you might want to do some checking up. Because the spirit within you gives you the craving to want to know him more. How do I know him more? Through his word. If you're not interested in studying it, that's one, Brian, I got on you up, but that's one thing about Brian that I've noticed. That guy does some digging. And he's always looking, trying to find answers. That's a characteristic of a believer. That has a hunger for the Word of God. Okay. First John 4, 15, Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in him. Do you not want people to think that you're a Jesus freak? Are you ashamed when people start talking about Jesus and you just back off in a corner and say, oh, I better not talk about that. Let me think I'm a Jesus freak. How do you handle that? I understand being shy, and I understand being timid. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit within me gives me the boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does it, not Kenny. I told y'all I've failed classes because I don't want to stand up in front of people and talk. But if I'm ever confronted, I'm ever asked, I don't deny my Savior. And I don't care if you call me a Jesus freak or not. If I can help you to love him like I love him, to understand he loves you like I understand it, then it's worth it to me. Call me what you will. But I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to back down from him. If you do, you might want to do some soul searching. And we started out this thing that, that he who promised is faithful. What's his promise? And I'm closing with this. If y'all want to get your song ready. John, John chapter 10, verse 28. 
This is Jesus' promise. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. If you don't know that verse, write it down, underline it in your Bible, John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. You understand what that's saying? Man, that ought to just, woo, make you want to shout. It's not me that stays saved. It's Christ in me that keeps me saved. He said, no man. Matt, you couldn't get unsaved if you want to. I heard a preacher say this week, and I was studying, oh, yeah, we can, we can deny Christ, and we can get unsaved. Oh, you better check up. You better check up. Because my faith is not in me, but in him who promised he can keep me. And no man can pluck them out of my father. Once my father gives them to me, they're not going anywhere, Jesus says. You understand that? He keeps you saved. He gives you eternal life. Because you've placed your faith in him. Now you may get pretty sorry about like your preacher does. And you may go down the wrong path for a while. But you can come right back to the cross. Where he keeps you. And he saves you. And no one can pluck them out of the Father's hand. What a blessing. What a joy to know. That I am saved. Once saved. Always saved. No matter what. And I want to love him, I want to obey him, and I want to know the truth of his word. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you keep us by your great power. You saved us, you keep us. Lord, we thank you. So if it's left up to us, we would fall miserably. But we thank you that it's all in your hands, the one who's faithful as he promised Lord, help us to understand that each and every one today, all the believers that are here. Lord, if there's any unsaved, I pray, Lord, today they would understand that they can be saved, that you died for their sins on the cross, that they can live with you for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.